So basically, biomarker is a, a way, unbiased way, to reflect what's happening inside your body at a certain condition at a certain time. You walk in the street and you can see everyone with the selfie stick uh, taking pictures, and they're trying to show everyone how do they look. But actually, nobody, only a few of us, are uh, looking inside. What we are doing at Inside Tracker, we are allowing you to see what's happening inside your body, very similarly to what we are doing with the car. We are checking the machine, finding what are the issues that we have, and then we intervene, and hopefully we'll improve the quality and the longevity of our life. That was Dr. Gil Blander, and this is episode 158 of Wellness Force Radio. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this podcast, we're talking about what your biomarkers are trying to tell you, and if you've been following Wellness Force over the past year, you know that I've experimented quite heavily personally with biomarkers. It's something we can all learn so much from. In 2018, as so many people right now in the middle of January are focused on diet and exercise and new training programs, you know, clean nutrition. How are we actually going to quantify this, though? How are we doing? In other words, what are we doing to track our progress so that we know the inspired actions we're taking in our eating and sleeping and moving? Are they actually paying off? Are they truly making a difference in our lives and our wellness? Because we know that the scale is complete BS and muscle is so much more dense than fat. So beyond getting a DEXA scan or a body pod or a hydrostatic water test, which is the real way to test lean body mass versus body fat, what can a blood test, an internal selfie, tell you about your current state of health and wellness? What specific biomarkers will point you towards the lowest hanging fruits, the things that'll make the most difference in your current health program that you can actually act on. We're going deep into this topic today with Dr. Gil Blander so that men and women can learn their sex-specific biomarkers that deserve attention as well as how taking a full-spectrum biomarker test can actually help someone noticeably improve their wellness. And speaking of wellness, it starts with our breath and the foods that we eat, not just the macros like proteins, carbs, and fats, but the quality of our micronutrients. Micronutrients help prevent disease and fight off the signs of aging. And this is your breath break. Brought to you by our show sponsor, Organifi. So take a deep breath. It might be the first time today you've been reminded to take that deep breath and know that great health starts in our cells, in the mitochondria. And with those micronutrients fueling us that we're taking on a daily basis that unfortunately are missing from our food supply right now, even if you're eating organic food, most people are not getting in their greens and their micronutrients. And the bigger challenge for parents or anyone that's super busy is taking the time and resources to buy all the fruits and veggies and cut them up and place them in a juicer and then also lose the fiber. So Organifi has come through. They made it super easy to get in your superfood powder with Organifi green juice that also has ashwagandha and beetroot and turmeric, all organic, no pesticides, dairy-free, soy-free, gluten-free, and vegan. Because you're a part of this show, you get 20% off from Organifi. They're hooking you up over at shoporganifi.com. Just enter code wellnessforce at checkout to pick up your green juice or the red juice or the turmeric, which I've been loving for getting quality sleep, getting that nutritious rest that we all deserve, especially right now as we're gearing up for the new year. Just hop over to shoporganify.com and enter your code wellnessforce to get your hookup 20% off at checkout. Now onto the show, we are learning from Dr. Gil Blander, the chief scientist and co-founder of Inside Tracker, who you may have seen all over the media and online in 2017. They're working with some very big athletes, professional athletes. I saw many of them at the Spartan Race last year, if you heard some of those podcasts. And everyday weekend warriors like you and me who just want to know what's going on with our blood. 
so we can make actionable changes and strategic movements in our lifestyles every single day. We're also talking about the correlations between gut health and 23andMe testing and genetics, what these epigenetics are doing to our health and how we can adjust those so that they're stacked in our favor. I know you're going to love this conversation from a very intelligent mind. And special announcement, make sure you head over to the show notes page. Dr. Gill was kind enough, generous enough to give us 15% off We had a conversation about how important this was for people to really know what their biomarkers are telling them. And this is so important. I mean, I can't think of something more pivotal when you can look inside and see what's going on with your blood. So the team at Inside Tracker has given our audience, the entire Wellness Force community, 15% off of any service over at Inside Tracker. All you have to do is go to the show notes page at wellnessforce.com forward slash 158. Now, no further waiting. Let's step in with Dr. Gil Blander. So as we move into the new year, a lot of people right now are focusing on, you know, getting a six pack and all these not necessarily deep topics. But today we are diving deep into something that truly matters for your long term health. And that is biomarkers, those things in your blood that really constitute so much around the structure of your health and your wellness in this new year, this 2018. We're talking on the show today with Dr. Gil Blander about what our biomarkers are actually trying to tell us. Now, I got to meet Dr. Gill in San Francisco. We're going to talk about that today. What's changed in the quantified self landscape, in digital health, and what we can actually learn from all these biomarkers in our blood. Now, Dr. Gil Blander is the chief scientific officer of Inside Tracker. He's also an internationally recognized man for his research in the basic biology of aging and translating research discoveries into some new ways for detecting and preventing age-related conditions. He leads a team of biology, nutrition, and exercise physiology experts and computer scientists at Inside Tracker. And he's been featured on CNN Money, The New York Times, Forbes, Financial Times, and The Boston Globe, among many others. Dr. Gil Blander, welcome to Wellness Force Radio. Thank you, Josh. It is exciting for me to be there. I've been so looking forward to this. You know, so many people right now, Dr. Gill, are thinking about how do I get my health in better shape? How do I improve my wellness? There's this typical kind of 30-day focus for so many people in the beginning of 2018 to get fit. But I can't think of a more powerful way to learn about how we're actually doing than by looking inside. And I want to read something from your home screen. We'll talk about Inside Tracker a lot today. On your home screen at the side, it says, what if you could take a selfie from the inside. And I think this is a great way to start our conversation here. Why do you believe that Inside Tracker chose this metaphor? What do you mean by what if you could take a selfie from the inside? Yeah, because uh, today, if you look around, everyone is taking selfies. Uh, you, you walk in the street and you can see everyone with the selfie stick uh, taking pictures. And they're trying to show everyone how do they look. But actually, nobody, only a few of us are uh, looking inside and trying to understand what is uh, happening inside our most important machine, which call our body. So uh, what we are doing at Inside Tracker, we are allowing you to see what's happening inside your body. And after that, we are giving you an actionable recommendation to improve your health, wellness, and performance. Very similar to what is happening uh, for your car when you take it to the technician, because when you take the car to the technician, he plug a computer into the, uh, the car, and the computer telling the technician exactly what are the issues that the car suffer today. Does he need to replace the oil filter or any other uh, part of the car? The, he do that, and then the car is good for another 5,000 miles. 
Then after 5,000 miles, you take the, uh, the car to the technician again, you do it again, and there is a research that showed that the lifespan of the car increased significantly from the moment that we introduced the routine maintenance. So I see inside tracker or a biomarker testing with a recommendation very similarly to what we are doing with the car. We are checking the machine, finding what are the issues that we have, and then we intervene and hopefully will improve the quality and the longevity of our life. What I love most about this, and I'll talk about my experience on the show today too, with Inside Tracker, I've been doing biomarker testing, gosh, probably since 2009. I love when you said it's like a dashboard on a car. I mean, most of us drive, we've been in Ubers, right? So there's a dashboard for a reason. It tells you how fast you're going. It tells you what's going on with your fuel and your oil and your temperature. And it's so funny that we haven't really accepted this in mass adoption yet as something where every human, all citizens in every country, just get to have this checkup, really this dashboard so they could see how they're actually showing up. So if people don't know, Dr. Gill, what a biomarker is, I think it's a term that's thrown around. What is your definition of an actual biomarker? That basically reflect and indicate a situation that happened in the body. So you can look at a blood glucose it's basically resembled a level of a specific molecule in the body, which is a glucose. But you can look at a, another molecule like cortisol, which is reflect the amount of stress that you have in the body. Uh, you can look at other markers like uh, markers of uh, liver health that can uh, sometimes reflect the amount of alcohol that you drink. So basically, biomarker is a, a way, unbiased way to reflect what's happening inside your body at a certain condition at a certain time. And we had some specific questions around, you know, what are the best biomarker tests to have for men, for women? We're also going to talk about erectile dysfunction, which, you know, there's many studies talking about one in four men are suffering from this. There are some specific things that we can look at here, but I'd love to learn just in a quick snapshot, what even got you interested in all of this science regarding biomarkers in the first place? Yeah, that's a, a very good question. So you can hear from my accent that I'm not a Native American and I actually was born and raised in Israel. And at a very young age, a relative of mine passed away. And instead of being sad about her that she passed away, I was sad about myself because I realized that I won't live forever. So at that time, that was at age 12, I decided to dedicate my life to try to understand why do we age? How can we live forever? How can we improve the quality of life? That's why I decided to study biology. I done my uh, graduate study at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel. And then I uh, moved here to the U.S. to MIT and I spent five years in the best lab that studied aging. And my goal was to go back to the academia and be a professor in the academia and uh, basically publish papers and uh, do what a professor in the academia do. But when I arrived here to MIT, to Boston, I started to be exposed to the what you call Kendall Square environment, a lot of biotech, high-tech, pharmaceutical companies. And I started to realize that maybe I can contribute more to humanity if I will start my own company and try to help people to live longer, better life. So after five years at MIT, I uh, left the academia, moved to the industry, worked in a couple of uh, biotech companies. In 2009, I came to the idea of Inside Tracker together with two other scientists. And the idea of Inside Tracker is very simple. In order to allow us to live better, longer life, we need to understand what are the issues that we have in our body, and that's why we're using biomarkers. And then based on that, describe an intervention of changes that we need to do. And hopefully by that, we can improve the quality and the longevity of uh, the human being. So that was the beginning of Instant Tracker. And uh, long story short, 
here we are uh, around eight years later and we, wow. we are still doing it and I'm very, very excited to do that and I'm very, very excited to talk with you, Josh, and your uh, people because I think that that's the, the change of the healthcare will come from uh, outside of the healthcare system because the healthcare system is very fragmented, very hard to make changes there. And I think that us as a human being, the quantified self-community can make the change that a community will follow us because we are the pioneers. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was, you know, I was picturing you at 12, just getting that hit of consciousness and understanding, hey, you know what? We're not going to live forever. And I really enjoyed how you kind of took that ethos of, I really care about people. I cared about my family member that I lost. That's what's driving you. Do you feel like that's the undercurrent of everything you're doing? I am, and uh, it's very exciting. And uh, sometimes on a Sunday dinner, I meet with my friends and they're saying, ooh, it's Sunday, tomorrow is Monday, and we need to go to work. And I'm saying, oh, it's Sunday. I'm so excited because tomorrow is Monday. I'm going back to work. <laughs> I'm fortunate in a way that I'm really loving my, uh, my job and uh, doing the best that I can to help people to live a better, longer life. Well, it's obvious. And I felt the same way when I met you almost three years ago. And I look at your career so far and everything you've created with your team at Inside Tracker. you know, 20 years for you personally, experience in systems biology, computational biology, which I'd love to learn what that is, aging, metabolism, caloric restriction research, MIT. I mean, you have everything that anyone could ever ask for when we look at academic research and experience. Yet, as we understand the landscape now, I think you're right. It's not going to come from the company's in health themselves, it's going to come from practitioners and quantified self and everyone else who maybe not has your level of academic experts and experience. What do you believe is going to happen now in 2018 as we look at how biomarkers are going to shift the health of people? How does this up-level human optimization? Yeah, I think that the next level is a system biology, meaning that we will combine a lot of different biomarkers not only from one source. So right now, InstaTracker is a, have an expertise in blood biomarkers, but now we are adding also uh, some other inputs. For example, we just uh, very recently added genetic biomarkers. So we are looking at single nucleotide polymorphism and how your genetic or your potential influence the level of your biomarkers or a lot of other part of your day-to-day -day life. So that's one example. Another example is physiological markers. So I assume that most of us are wearing right now either Apple Watch, Fitbit, Garmin, or any other uh, smartwatch that measure our steps, measure our sleep, measure our heart rate, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, we get a lot, a lot of data, but it's not actionable. What can we do with the fact that I walked 14,000 steps today? Not a lot. So what we are trying to do right now, and actually that will happen in 2018, is to integrate this data into Instant Tracker and then give you an actionable recommendation. For example, your resting heart rate was X yesterday. That's mean that you need to eat more of that food or you need to exercise less or more at that day or you need to change your behavior. The same with the weight and the same with the sleep. So basically we are trying to have combine a lot of inputs inside inside tracker and then based on all of them using our algorithm to run all the possible intervention that you can take and supply to you the most personalized intervention that fit for you based on your blood genetics and uh, physiological markers 
And you dialed it down. There are literally thousands of things that anyone could measure on their body, but I think there's around 40 or 41 that Inside Tracker really focuses on. Can we talk about this here? Because there's so many things that we could dive into, but why did you choose the ones that are actually listed on the site? What did those mean for the longevity and the health and the human optimization of people? How many actual biomarkers do you test? Yeah, so we are testing around 40 blood biomarkers. When I started the company in uh, 2009, actually I spent a couple of years looking at the battery of blood biomarkers that are publicly available or available at labs like such as Quest Diagnostic, and we found that there are a, a few thousands of those. So what we try to do is to uh, narrow down the list to the markers that are most important for a healthy population. So we done that by developing a few criteria. Criteria number one was that uh, those biomarkers should be biomarker of health and not a disease. So basically, we are not looking at PSA, which is a marker of prostate cancer, but we are looking at uh, cortisol, which is a marker of stress, or so looking at glucose, which is a marker of a carbohydrate level in your blood. So that was the, the first level. The second one was that we wanted to find a biomarker that at least 1% of the population is out of the optimal zone. So basically, if there is a biomarker that only one in a million is not optimized, I don't think that it's a good service to ask someone to pay so much money and then uh, to see that it's optimized. So we were trying to focus on the one that are mostly unoptimized in the general population. And last but not least, we are looking at biomarkers that you can uh, modulate using a simple intervention, such as food, supplement, exercise, and lifestyle changes. So if you cannot modulate them using those interventions, we are not measuring them. I so enjoy this, Gil, because I'm thinking about the database. There must be a massive database, not just with Inside Tracker, but with any company that's using data-driven analytics to help people's health. I mean, I can't even imagine the landscape right now of how many actual data points are measured. But I think what the clear differentiator is, is that with Inside Tracker, you actually get a report that tells you, here's what you can do. Here's the lifestyle recommendations based on your data. It creates a bridge between the data and the long-term behavior change. Is that what you see as a big difference with Inside Tracker? Exactly. As you said, there are a, a lot of companies today that they take a blood data or any other data and present it in a nice way. I would say print it on the screen with nice colors and show you that uh, you are in the normal range or outside the normal range. But there is no other company that first apply a personalized optimal zone for you based on your age, gender, ethnicity, and other level, and then you get the optimal zone. Because nobody wants to be normal. I don't want to be normal, Josh. I'm sure that you don't want to be normal. Nobody would like to be normal. We would like to be optimal. We like to be the best that we can be. So we uh, try to make the optimal zone as a subset of the normal zone and try to push you as hard as you can to be optimized. Because if you will be optimized, there is a better chance that you won't be sick later and you will continue to be the best that you can be. So that's first. And then if you are out of the optimal zone, we uh, develop a database with uh, thousands of recommendations, and then we apply the right recommendation for the right person at the right time based on his uh, blood biomarkers, based on his demographic information, based on his preferences to find the right food, the right exercise, the right supplement, the right lifestyle that he can change in order to optimize himself. 
I so enjoy hearing you say that in such a simplistic way, because really what we're seeing here is it's a window to look inside. And once you see what's there, what is the actual plan? What's the bridge to take something that you know and then actually execute on it? I'm thinking about last year we had Dan Party on the show and he talked about this, Dr. Gill. It's, it's having knowledge is one thing. Doing something with it is another. How have you seen this grow within your core base with your users, also with your staff around the coaching aspect, around walking people through, hey, once you've gotten your results, once you understand who you are from a data level, then what's the human connection that actually drives the long-term change? Very, very good question. I strongly believe that everything should be automated in order to serve everyone. I want to serve the 7 billion people in the world. I don't want to serve only a few thousands that, that are very excited about that. So uh, we build this tool in a way that it will be completely automated and completely scalable that uh, can uh, serve as many pockets of users as possible. Saying that, we know that there is a a big percent of the population that like to have the human uh, interaction. So what we've done, we developed what we call a coach dashboard that allow a coach, and the coach can be a physician, it can be a nutritionist, it can be a health coach, coach of a professional team, that uh, can look at a cohort of uh, people And he can drill down into a specific person and give him a specific consultation. He can look at the team as a whole. For example, if you look at the professional team, they spend most of the time together and they have a chef that cook their meal. So we can give you a holistic uh, solution for all the team, for all the 55 players in the team. What is the most common issue that they are uh, suffering with? And then give you five foods that we call them uh, focus foods that if you introduce them into the meal of those uh, team, you can actually optimize all the team at once. So we developed a lot of tools to allow a coach to uh, manage and consult his followers. I can't think of anything more personal than how our blood reacts to the food we eat. So looking at personalized nutrition, this is big. And I think people might be thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many things to look at. What should I be looking at? Let's simplify it a little bit. When compared to men, is there some you know, handfuls of tests that women should really be looking at? Yeah, so uh, women, especially uh, premenopausal women, they have a tendency to have a pretty low level of iron. That's a very big issue with uh, premenopausal women, especially for the athletic active population of them, and especially for runners. Because what uh, the science show is when you run, you sometimes tend to have a, a micro bleeding from your gut, and you are, uh, tend to lose some uh, blood. As we know, premenopausal women, usually they lose blood once a month, and sometimes it can be high amount. So women have a high tendency to have low iron. So I will strongly recommend for uh, women to test for uh, iron. Actually, in our panel, we have almost 10 different blood biomarkers related to iron because it's so complex and the iron regulation is so complex. So it's very, very important for uh, women to look at the iron. So that's one biomarker. So definitely is the one that is most important for uh, women, but also for men. A few other biomarkers that are important for women to test, one of them is DHEAS, which is a, it's actually a molecule that is a precursor of a sex hormones. And what is interesting about this uh, a molecule that is decline with age. So basically, uh, from around the age of 20, uh, this molecule uh, started to decline. And especially for uh, postmenopausal women, 
all the sex hormones that uh, women have after the menopause uh, arrive, they stop receiving those hormones from uh, the sex organs. And the only source for that is DHEAS. So it's very important to uh, look at it and monitor it. So I think that uh, those two are uh, markers that are very specific for women. There is another uh, a very interesting marker that called sex hormone binding globulin or SHBG. And SHBG is a molecule that binds to a sex hormone such as uh, testosterone, estradiol, and other. Basically, when it's uh, bind to uh, those molecules, it's basically stabilize them, but also inactivate them. So having uh, the right level of SHBG is very important for women, but uh, also it's uh, very important for men. Oh, wow. Thank you. I know all the, the women listening so appreciate that differentiation. Iron, D-H-E-A-S, and the sex hormone binding globulin. You know, for men, I was reading an article in preparation for our talk today, and I understood that ED is not just for people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And actually, there are some studies, recent studies, that one in four men, Gil, are seeking treatment for ED under the age of 40. This is not normal. This is really a crisis because, look, I mean, sex is a healthy part of life. If we're not functioning sexually with one another, then everything else starts to decline as well. Let's start with some basics here. You know, erectile dysfunction for men, it's not necessarily something that you can just eat a certain food and all of a sudden you'll have this long-term change. Tell us about the biomarkers for ED. Are there anything that we can look at as men specifically to decrease our risk of ED? Definitely, and not surprisingly, testosterone is very important, and especially free testosterone. So we discussed two minutes ago about a sex hormone binding globulin, and sex hormone binding globulin is a, a molecule that interacts uh, with a testosterone and stabilizes it, but also inactivates it. So it's very important to measure the free testosterone, which is meaning that is the active part of the testosterone in your bloodstream. So free testosterone is definitely very important to having the right amount of free testosterone is important to uh, prevent or improve the symptom of ED. Another few biomarkers that are less, I would think about them less, but actually they are, uh, have been shown recently to be uh, related to ED, cholesterol and uh, basically uh, LDL and HDL. Uh, and the issue is in our penis, uh, the blood vessels are starting to play a very important role in the process. Cholesterol, as we know, can uh, actually uh, clog some of the blood vessels. So uh, the right level of HDL and LDL is very important in order to uh, most optimize uh, sex uh, activity for uh, males. Other markers that are important are uh, inflammation markers such as HSCRP. And very recently, magnesium has been shown to be uh, related to ED. It's still very preliminary, but we have seen some data that show that the uh, optimized uh, magnesium level in the body, uh, specifically uh, what we call uh, RBC magnesium or red blood cells magnesium, because that's measured the amount of magnesium in the cell, is very important to uh, the right uh, sexual function of the male as well. Now, these tests for ED, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think it's something people don't want to talk about. It's kind of like anything that involves our poop or sex, people just get scared of. But look, we're going to talk about it here on the show because total cholesterol, HDL, free testosterone, 
C-reactive protein and magnesium. I really enjoyed that you mentioned magnesium because I'm thinking about our episode with Dr. David Minkoff. And we looked at the data. We looked at the research. Most people, over 80% of people are magnesium deficient. What are some magnesium-rich foods that we can eat? Also, how do we rise the level of free testosterone? Is that something that just with age, we have to accept that it is what it is? Or are there certain foods or things we can do to raise naturally our free testosterone? I'd love for you to talk about the free testosterone and the magnesium. Testosterone is a very interesting in a way that food play less important role in uh, uh, testosterone than in uh, other markers because the regulation of uh, testosterone is mainly via uh, some more lifestyle uh, uh, changes that you do. For example, if you sleep more or sleep better, you have a better chance that uh, uh, your testosterone will be uh, more optimized. If you become less stressful, your testosterone uh, can be much more optimized. Exercise is uh, also very important for the level of uh, testosterone. A lot of research show that uh, exercise can be positive and negative for testosterone. So if you are a gym rat and you spend a lot of time in the gym, it could be that because you are exercising too much, your testosterone is low. But for the most of the population, actually exercise will improve the level of uh, testosterone. So it depends whether you are exercising too much or too low, you can actually regulate the level of the testosterone. So that's about testosterone or uh, free testosterone. If you look at uh, the level of magnesium, a different kind of uh, food that are uh, relatively rich in magnesium, uh, mostly is uh, one example. A snail is another example. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like snail, eat uh, salmon, some beans and some uh, seeds. A spinach uh, is relatively high with magnesium. So I, I can uh, continue and continue, but uh, there are a lot of alternatives for magnesium. And my favorite too is dark chocolate. You know, one ounce serving is 16% of our RDA for magnesium there. And I want to go back to, because you talked about cholesterol, you know, the HDL, the LDL. We actually had a question for you, Gil, in our group from Amber, interested to hear these blood test differentiations between men and women. And specifically, what are the real ranges of cholesterol we can shoot for? I cannot tell you exactly what is it, because what we are doing is we are uh, customize or personalize it for each person based on his age, gender, ethnicity, and athletic activity. What I can say is that, for example, women are tend to have much higher level of HDL than male. Very frequent that uh, there are some women that have HDL in the level of 100, which is great, but it's very rarely that you can see a male in that level. For LDL, talking generally not for a specific person, there are some uh, research that show that uh, having LDL below 70 uh, is considered to be good. But what I want to say again, that uh, depending on your age and gender and ethnicity and athletic activity, we are assigning a personal zone uh, for each of uh, our users. Are you cross-referencing that with any 23andMe or how much plays into that when we look at genetic testing in combination with, quote, the best reference ranges for HDL, LDL? We just soft launch a product that is a, our genetic product, and very soon it will be combined to our blood data or blood product. You can see that uh, some people, as you said, might be uh, predisposed for a high level of uh, cholesterol or high level of LDL or low level of HDL. 
Yeah. So, so what uh, uh, we are uh, doing is we are informing you right now that you have a genetic predisposition, sorry, high LDL or high cholesterol or low HDL. In some cases, you can even quantify it and come and say, because you have this uh, predisposition, you might have 10 units of a level higher of a specific marker. So we, we are trying to integrate that into our solution. But I want to say that a genetic or your potential is just one part of the equation. Uh, lifestyle is a very important one, and there is plenty of data of looking at identical twins. One of them is uh, diabetic and the other is not. And the reason for that is that the lifestyle, environment, exercise is very important as well. So we are trying to do is to combine the genetic with the blood and hopefully soon with uh, physiological markers and based on that give you the best recommendation that fits for you. We have a way of eating that's great for us. We're going down an exercise path. We're doing all these things that, quote, seem to be doing the right thing. But yet, unless there's some kind of measurement, unless we're understanding how we're actually showing up in these unique biomarkers, then we can't always go off of just what we think is common knowledge about how to improve our health, especially when we look at epigenetics, you know, this long-term behavior change. Can you talk a little bit about for your understanding of epigenetics and how that applies to people that are interested in biomarkers? First, let's define uh, epigenetics. And again, uh, there are a lot of uh, different definitions of epigenetics. So I'll give you my definition and it might be different than yours. Epigenetics is modification to the DNA. Basically, we have the DNA and we have the sequence of DNA HD, T, and C, that uh, a sequence of a lot of those. And there are some enzyme or protein that actually adds some molecule to those uh, nucleotide, which is the building block of the DNA. And that can be acetylation, methylation, or any other modification. Those modifications mostly change the accessibility of the DNA to produce RNA and then to produce protein that uh, will uh, behave as the enzyme and uh, can basically build our body. So I just want to mention that uh, at MIT, when, when I worked there, I worked on a protein called CIRT1 or CIRT2, which are a protein or a, also a DNA deacetylase that remove acetyl group from the DNA and then basically uh, regulate the transcription of the genes. Epigenetic is very, very exciting. And I think that it's something that uh, for sure will play a, a very important role in the future. But in my opinion right now, it's still a, more like a research tool than a, something that I can come to you, Josh, and say, hey, you have 20% of your DNA is acetylate. And actually, it's not a, the percent, it's more the location. Because of that, you need to do X or Y. I don't think that it's there yet. But I think that it will be there in uh, definitely in a few years. And it's natural. Epigenetics is a very natural thing, but it's influenced by a lot of different factors. You know, how old we are, if we're in an environment where there's a lot of air toxicity. Also, if we have, you know, people around us that kind of load us down emotionally, these epigenetic modifications, I'm sure, can manifest commonly by, you know, disease or even other things that end up like, you know, in their skin or in our liver or in our brain. What have you seen in your research then? Because you talked about epigenetics being really just a research angle right now. Have you seen anything that fascinates you personally about epigenetics and the human optimization? There is the data that actually epigenetics 
is a, a transfer from old generation to the next generation. So there are some uh, epigenetic changes that not only happen because you spend time next to a power plant and you got polluted, it's also something that might happen to your grandma or grandfather uh, that transfer to you. So there are some epigenetic um, molecules are uh, transferring from old generation to the next generation, which is very exciting. Again, I'm, I'm not sure what can you do about it. So I'm not sure how actionable it is, but it's definitely very exciting. I think it's really just awareness. I'm, you know, referencing the work of Paul Check here. He talked about in his studies, he found that many women that were fighting with their husbands and they were kind of setting up the fetus, the new baby, to have more cortisol wiring for stress, literally wiring the baby for war, coming into the world with a nervous system that is wired for fight and flight. Do you feel like that could be an arm of epigenetics, just that awareness? I think the actionable piece is what do we do once we're aware? So there's emotional work and healing we can do. But have you seen this in your research or in conversations with colleagues? You know, the parents' behaviors can actually alter literally the path of the child's life. It's not my own research, but uh, we have seen a lot of parents that are spending a lot of time next to uh, a computer with a specific music or a specific uh, audio book and just playing it for the baby uh, to try to make him uh, smarter in the future transfer to the baby via the uh, epigenetics. So definitely there are a lot of possibilities. Again, I'm not sure that we are there yet, but uh, it could uh, come very soon. Very similarly to what happened uh, with the microbiome. Microbiome is so exciting. Like five years ago, we knew nothing about it. Mm. Nobody uh, cared about microbiome and uh, all the bacteria that we have in our body. And actually we have more bacteria in our body than our own cells. Now there is a lot of data that show that a microbiota is a super important. And I think that is definitely going to be as, a, as big as genetics and as big as the blood biomarkers. Uh, but again, I think that today is still a research tool and it's uh, not uh, very clear what can you do about it other than to know that you have X percent of uh, this kind of bacteria and Y percent of the other kind of bacteria which is interesting, and uh, I think that uh, a lot of your audience, I assume, are uh, quantified selfers, so it's interesting to know. It, it, just knowledge is a power, so I'm not saying that it's wrong to do it, and there are uh, uh, plenty of companies that are uh, doing it. Some of them I know very well, like Ubiome, which is a, a great company. I, I think that we are in the stage of a microbiome, like the stage that we have been with 23andMe, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. It's very exciting, it's new, uh, we are collecting data, and just today I read an article about uh, 23andMe that now they have uh, a few million people that using 23andMe, so they are doing a research of uh, how genetic influence uh, weight loss, because they are going to take 100,000 people and tell them, hey, you will do this diet, you will do this diet, and then combine the data of uh, the weight loss and the kind of diet that they done with the genetic data that they have at 23andMe, and then hopefully they find new genes that related to weight loss, which is very exciting. So I think that with the microbiome, and I assume with the epigenetics, we are in the stage of 23andMe like 10 years ago. It's great that we are doing it because if we won't have data, we cannot do the experiment that 23andMe are doing today. So definitely, if you are interested, do the microbiome test, help the, the scientific community to have enough data to start having recommendations for that. 
You know, I tried the Ubiome test, and I'm sure that from an academic perspective, it's a great test, but I'll tell you where they missed the mark. And I have no qualms about saying this because I really believe people need the truth here. I didn't get any actionable coaching. When I look at Inside Tracker, you guys told me exactly what to do. Ubiome, I didn't get any direction. They're so kind of, I think, afraid of giving people, you know, suggestions. They basically say, here's your results. Now go to a physician. When we look at, you know, people wanting to be their own citizen scientists, we need more direction there. And I'm thinking about this dream dashboard that I've always wanted to have. And it's our gut, our activity, our blood, our emotions, our sleep, and our food. If we can get all those things into a dashboard and then integrate AI with that dashboard, can you imagine, Gil, in the next three to five years with all of those things on a dashboard, literally having a personal coach in our ear through an earbud. I completely agree with you. And that's what we are trying to do. But in uh, defense of uh, Ubiome, I want to say that they don't know. So they are collecting the data and they don't know more than that. So they cannot uh, give you a guidance because there is not enough knowledge to tell you what to do. So (laughs) they do what they can. Oh, such a good point. Uh, We had another question since we're talking about gut health and epigenetics. Sandy asks, what is your take, Dr. Gill, on actionable health behaviors when looking at a tool like 23andMe? What can I actually learn when I cross-reference 23andMe with Inside Tracker? I think that that's a a very, very good question. Actually, we are getting into uh, the comparison of what can I get from blood uh, testing versus genetic testing. A few criteria that are very important to distinguish between uh, blood and genetics, and actually there are five very important points. The first one is the actionability. Blood is extremely actionable. For example, if there is a low level of vitamin B12 in your blood, you need to consume a vitamin B12 rich food in order to increase the uh, vitamin B12 or take supplements. So it's a very straightforward. In genetic testing, it's not actionable. So what I'm saying is, uh, let's assume that uh, you have a SNP that suggests that you might have low vitamin uh, B12. First, you don't know if you really have low vitamin B12 right now because you have a risk to have vitamin B12. Mm. But even if you have it, and let's assume that you are supplemented or consume a food high with uh, vitamin B12, you don't know if you improved it. You need to go to the blood in order to see the action reaction. Second is actually a point that I already discussed is VO progress. With blood, you can see VO progress. You can test today, find that you have low B12, supplement with B12, and in six months, test again and see whether uh, the supplementation worked or not. With genetic, you cannot do it. The next point is the scientific support. We need to remember that the first time that we sequenced the full genome was in around the year 2000, so it's only around 17 years ago. Because of that, there is not as much scientific support for genetic markers as much as you have for uh, blood biomarkers because blood biomarkers are with us for the last uh, 100 years or so. We have a lot of information about it. For each biomarker that you have in the blood, you have maybe 1,000 or maybe 10,000 different peer-reviewed scientific publications that support a specific uh, intervention. While for uh, genetics... Most of the SNPs, you might have a paper or half a paper, maybe two papers that discuss it. A very young field that uh, we are not really sure for the full picture. Wow. So the jury is still out on the cross-reference of both. I want to shift here because we're getting towards the end of the show. We always look at the emerging trends. Some of them, Gil, we know they're just fringe. I think a lot of people in the digital health space, the wellness space, just 
any area really in regards to human optimization, there's people that are predatory. They're trying to just make money off of others. And that's the part where we really want to vet them out. But when I look at the changes that are coming from CRISPR, this new technology, C-R-I-S-P-R, it's this super long name that I can't even pronounce myself. But this is literally something where we're looking at these clusters inside of people's bodies where there can be actual changes. They're repairing the DNA in bodies so we can have something like Gattaca, the movie Gattaca that came out 20 years ago. We're going to have designer babies out there soon. Can you talk a little bit about CRISPR for people that don't know? I'd love to get your scientific take on CRISPR. It's a very, very young uh, technology. Basically, it's used uh, repetitive sequences that a complex can uh, identify. And then uh, this complex can come and remove a cassette and insert a new cassette that replace it. So there are some diseases, uh, specific diseases that uh, maybe only one change in the DNA can cause disease, like sickle cell anemia, for example. Yeah. For such a disease, we can actually uh, define a, a specific a sequences that uh, this CRISPR will recognize, potentially in the future, inject or uh, introduce to the body this specific agent. And then uh, it will come and cut and, uh, and paste a new part of a sequence to the DNA of this patient and theoretically change his life and they make his uh, in example of a sickle cell anemia, his red blood cells will become normal. And there are a lot of uh, diseases like that, that one nucleotide, two nucleotide, few nucleotide, and uh, theoretically you can uh, cure those diseases also in cancer. Sometimes you find a specific gene uh, mutated. Again, I don't want to go too deep into biology, but uh, there is a protein called P53, which is a tumor suppressor that uh, maybe 50% of the cancer patients have mutation there. And most of the mutation occur in a specific location. So theoretically, you can come, sequence the P53 gene for uh, those patients, find where is the mutation, then uh, introduce CRISPR and uh, fix it, and hopefully you will uh, cure them from cancer. Oh, man. No big deal. We're just editing genes and then cutting and pasting tiny snippets of genetic code. Are, are you personally excited about this, or are you still taking your time to research it? I mean, does this bring up any kind of emotion or any kind of real shock value for you that this actually exists now with CRISPR? No, it's, it's amazing because it, it's like the plumber in your house. You find a clog somewhere, he come, he cut it, he paste a new part, and that's it. It's good. So think about it, if we can do it to our body, it's really, really exciting. I think that it can be a, a great revolution. Yes. But again, it's not ready yet to do that. It might be ready in five to 10 years. I done some research at the Weizmann Institute in Science on DNA repair. It's really exciting. It can be a big, big revolution. It's early, so I don't know yet if it will work or not. And there are some people out there, Gil, that don't want it to come out because once this tech comes out, there's really no way to reverse it, especially when we look at how it multiplies. But that is another podcast, and this is almost the end of ours. This is our last section of the show. It's seven fast questions for seven of your truths. The first question is the misconceptions that many people understand for blood tests. What are a couple that you see on a regular basis, these misconceptions in our public about blood tests and human optimization that simply are not true? Most of us see blood tests as something that is only for the physician. It's too complex. We don't understand it. And I think that each of us uh, can use it to learn a lot about himself 
a personalized is a lifestyle and nutrition base of it. So I think that is a very actionable, very important for each of us to use this data, this uh, to allow us to live longer, better life. And a lot of these tests through Inside Tracker are geared towards someone who really is that citizen scientist. They want to understand for themselves, not just going to the doctor, getting a routine panel. This is a very specific panel. So what's the most scientific path, though, when we look at food sensitivities? Is there a test or test that you prefer? We had a question about this for food sensitivities. Do you have a go-to test for that? Yeah, so food sensitivity, and again, sorry to say it, but I think that is a, a mainly a, a fiction. There is a food intolerance, uh, which means that uh, basically when you eat uh, uh, nuts uh, or peanuts, you have a rash all over the body and you're almost dying. And food sensitivity is uh, it's usually uh, more in your brain than in your body. A lot of companies that develop kits for that and testing for what we call IgG, which is a specific antibody related to that. But um, the scientific research is not there. So basically, they are selling it uh, just to move kids. If you really want to understand if you have a, a food sensitivity, uh, the best way to do it is to look at your genetics. Uh, in genetic testing, you can test and see whether you have a correlation that say that you might be a peanut intolerant or a gluten intolerant or lactone intolerance. Uh, the caveat of that is that it will tell you, hey Josh, instead of having a 1% chance to be a gluten intolerant, you have 6% chance. So it still doesn't say that you are intolerant. It's saying that you have a higher chance to be intolerant and you still need to, at the end of the day, to go and eat food with gluten and see whether you get an allergic reaction. If you really want to be sure uh, if you have a food intolerant, the best way to do it today is still to go to your doctor. And at the doctor, they would do what? At the doctor, uh, again, that's, uh, that, that's still not 100%. They can do some uh, uh, testing of uh, antibodies. Sometimes they are uh, scrapping the antigen on your uh, skin and, and try to do it. But still, it's, the food sensitivity uh, raises a lot of curiosity in the, in the public. I'm not sure that there is a, a great essay to come and in, in 100% say you have it or you don't. It's, uh, there is a lot of gray area there. We had another question from Allison about cross-referencing celiac. She says there's 23 chromosomes that react in proteins, but it's unclear to her if there's a good test to determine what to eliminate. In other words, is there a marker we can look at for celiac or is that blood test specific outside of just markers that you tested inside Tracker? With celiac, I'm not sure that there is something. It's a, a, you, you need to uh, discuss it with your physician. I, again, I don't want to get into that because we are getting into a, a specific disease and yeah. I, I don't want to claim that I, I'm treating or diagnosing a disease. Like you said in the beginning of the show, this is a health-focused marker yeah. investigation with Inside Tracker. Now, when you look at the panel, the barrage of knowledge that you've accumulated over the past 30 plus years, what continues to fascinate you in your field of work? I discover a new fact every, every day. And basically, I'm learning a lot. So it's an interesting occupation. Yeah. Like uh, being a scientist is an occupation that you learn every day. So, uh, you, you are uh, like going to school every day. So that's very exciting for me to learn a lot. And more than that, to help people to be better. So I can tell you that we ran a study around 1,000 of our um, users. Uh, what we found was amazing that uh, almost all of them 
improve the value of uh, blood biomarkers from the baseline to the follow-up after following InstaTracker in, uh, in a time frame of around seven months. So basically, we have seen uh, uh, people that had a high glucose at the beginning and become normal. Uh, people that had high cholesterol and become normal, high inflammation and decreased significantly, high stress using cortisol. So very, very nice data that show that indeed you can use simple and uh, natural interventions such as food supplement, exercise, lifestyle changes that are personalized for you. So basically my plan will be completely different than uh, your plan, Josh. And at the end of the day, I can improve my blood biomarkers, which is a, a very, very exciting because those markers are markers of your health and performance and longevity. The changes we've seen in the past few years, I met you in 2015 in San Francisco. What do you think's changed the most in digital health and wellness technology and science? What's changed that's really not necessarily shocked you, but that has impressed you about the progress of where we're going? So first of all, digital health is a, now a mainstream. Uh, when I started the company in 2009, it was a few crazy guys that trying to, to do something. Now you have hundreds of companies, a lot of funding, a lot of progress there. So that's a very, very exciting. And also you can start seeing some a, a big companies going into that. So uh, you can see Apple and Google and uh, Microsoft and uh, Samsung. Everyone understands that digital health is, uh, is big, is huge. And there is a lot of opportunities there. And I think that that will be very exciting for the average Joe and Jane because we will start to receive a better treatment. Because when you go to your physician at the end of the day, and you know what he learned in a, a medical school uh, 20 years ago, and no physician, even the smartest one, can have uh, the knowledge that you have in a computer. Mm. So basically allowing the a physician, but allowing also the patient, or in our case, the users or the clients to have the data and intervene will allow us at the end to live a longer, better life because the analogy of the car coming again. When you take care of uh, the most sophisticated machine that we have, which is us, and help them to optimize themselves, hopefully we'll live a, a longer, better life. Yes, and it's going to be such a more enjoyable process too. Where do you see the future of digital health and medicine taking us in 2018, 2019, 2020? We'll start to have an integration of a, a lot of different inputs. And based on that, we'll start to have a very, very personalized recommendation for each of us. So it's not like uh, when you will go to your physician and you will say that you have a specific symptom they will take care only of that symptom. They will look at you as a full organism and based on that, give you a recommendation that will help you not only to take care of that symptom, but we help you to optimize yourself and be the best that you can be. Wow, Gil, it's obvious that you're so passionate about what you do, man. But when things get challenging, you know, no matter what we're doing, whether we're working on a dream or being a dedicated parent or just being a great human, there are days when things get really challenging. What's the inspiration that you pull from when your days get challenging yourself? Yeah, I always remember what is my mission. And my mission is to allow all of us to live longer, healthier, and better life. And <laughs> that's what uh, keeps me awake uh, at night. And that's why I'm uh, so passionate about it, because uh, I feel like we can do it in our generation. It's not easy. As you said, nothing is easy. And uh, to succeed, you need to work hard and uh, long hours. So I'm very excited about that. Well, this has been such a great conversation. We explored a lot of ground 
in this past hour. My last question for you, Gil, is wellness in 2018 with everything you've accomplished. What do you do for wellness? How do you define wellness in your life? To be your uh, personal best, best on your potential, you should try to extract the best from the short time you will be alive on this amazing blue planet. So try to do the best and try to uh, optimize yourself. In human optimization and wellness, they meet at such a fun intersection. We've really enjoyed learning from you on today's podcast. Where can Wellness Force, our community, learn more about Inside Tracker and what you have coming in 2018? Yeah, they can go to InsideTracker.com and uh, find all the information there. You are supporting so many. We're looking at supporting our health, our best health in 2018. But how do we do both? How do we support our best health and your mission to help globally everyone live this longer and more full life? Yeah, we should uh, work together. We should do our quantified self-experiment of N of 1. That's very exciting. And we should continue to do that and try to optimize ourselves. And we should try to use the -the state-of-the-art platform such as InstaTracker, but a lot of other, to improve our overall health. And there's no real ambiguity in the data. The data speaks volumes of truth. Gil, this has been such a great conversation. Is there anything that we missed when we look at human optimization and biomarkers? Really, is there anything we missed when we look at what our biomarkers are trying to tell us? Yeah, I I think that the, the most important lesson is that it's not easy. And there is no silver bullet. So if you want to optimize yourself, it's a a lifetime struggle and you need to work hard for it. So it's not enough to do it for 30 days. You need to do it uh, most of the year. Uh, All of us have some uh, good days and bad days. So sometimes you need to eat the candy or eat the chocolate or eat the ice cream. That's okay. But try to, as most as you can, to feed your body in the best oil and gasoline that you can because... Uh, That's your body and you need to uh, keep it as good as you can. Wow, this is great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I just want to let everyone know, this is your opportunity. This is your chance to just get curious, just get excited about what you're creating this year for your body. And it starts from the inside out. You know, we talked about taking this selfie from the beginning. This is a great chance to take a breath and take an inventory of what's going on with your blood so that you can make those changes and actually track. That's the key word, track how you're going to show up in better health. So have a beautiful day out there. Make sure that you're being conscious and you're taking care of everyone around you and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page, and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone, and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group, and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.